it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's ebook for free at stockmarketpdf.com. I love this podcast because it crushes your dreams of getting rich quick. They actually got me into reading stats for anything. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern. Step-by-step premium investing guidance for beginners. Your path to financial freedom starts now. Starts now. All right, folks, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. Tonight is episode 223. Tonight, we're going to answer two great listener questions that we got recently. And so without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to my friend Andrew, and he's going to explain a great email he wrote actually today that covers a question that we're going to cover here in just a moment. So Andrew, could you kind of explain, like I'm five, uh, what the email was that you sent out today? Sure. We've had a lot of volatility. So we're recording this beginning of March. There's been a ton of volatility, a lot of geopolitical events happening. And so the market's pretty freaked out. I mean, it's been very volatile. Seems like we've been saying that for like a month straight now. The market has been volatile. It's been moving up and down. So I I basically wrote an email. I said, if I could give one piece of advice, it would be, look, you got to buy and hold for the long term. And that's really what it comes down to. At the end of the day, If you look at the economy and you zoom out, do you think the economy is going to get bigger over the long term or do you think it's going to get smaller? And so if you think the economy will grow because we are human beings, we are hardworking, we like to push forward and innovate, if that's the reality and that's what you believe, then you should invest in the stock market. And if it's not, then you shouldn't because that's the only way the stock market grows is if the economy grows. And so that was kind of the idea of the email was the stock market represents ownership of businesses. Businesses are what make up the economy. So as those businesses grow, the stock market grows. And so we should not worry about, is there going to be a recession tomorrow? Is the stock market going to crash tomorrow? Should I wait to buy the dip? Those are all things that are out of our control and nobody knows the answer to those things. So that's why you need to instead focus on 
what's the big concept? It's I think the economy is going to grow. So I'm going to continue buying stocks and continue to hold them for the long term. Because over the history of the market, the stock market has grown as the economy has grown. And we should continue to see that over the long term as well. So here's the question, though. What if you're 63 years old? Yeah. So this is somebody wrote a response to me today. That was a very good response. And in my mind, it really comes down to two questions. Well, the first question is, how soon do you need the money? And then if that question is anything less than five to 10 years, then I would say you probably should not be in the stock market because you can look over the history of it and the stock market is very up and down. And to be successful in the stock market, you got to be able to ride those ups and downs. So if, if you're 63 and you need the money when you're 68, I probably would really think about reducing your exposure to the stock market. If you maybe are thinking of doing, you know, there's a lot of, I think, nuances to that question because the idea of retirement is even something we could debate because the way people work now, you know, back when 65 was the kind of the rule, it was a lot more manual labor and things of that nature that required, you know, maybe being in front of a, inside a factory or something. But nowadays, people can work on their computer. We saw how much people work from home now. So it doesn't need to be this all or nothing thing. We could have people with semi-retirements and other options that kind of make that question a harder one to answer. Yeah, for sure. And I agree with you. I think the nuance to the question is it can be it can be difficult to determine because a lot of it depends on, like Andrew was pointing out, your time horizon and what your plans are beyond retirement, air quotes, because at 63, at 55, like I am, you know, I don't plan to stop working when I'm 65. I will keep doing something long beyond that. And the other part of this too, is that our par- my parents' generation and their parents' generation today are living longer than my parents were and then their parents were and kind of down the line. And so it's not unusual now for people to retire at 65, 67, 68 and live to be 85, 90, 95, whereas before that maybe wasn't as common. Maybe people would only have to plan for retirement to last them 10 years and not to be on the morbid side of things. But the planning stage was much shorter than it is now. And so now you have to kind of think, okay, you know, what is my expected lifespan from the time that I retire? And some of that, of course, is going to depend on genetics and your health now and maybe what your health will be farther down the road. Of course, none of us know the future and none of us know what's going to happen tomorrow. But those are all things that you kind of have to, I guess, play with and account for. And so just a yes or no answer to a question like this is maybe not quite as black and white as it may appear on the surface. And standard operating procedure in most cases when you think about retirement planning for your portfolio is the closer you get to retirement, the more you reduce your exposure to the stock market by moving money out of 
stocks into safer assets like bonds or money market accounts or things of that nature, you know, gold, just a savings account, all those things all kind of come into play depending on how conservative you want it to be. And some of the, I guess, rationale behind that is like Andrew was saying, as you get closer to retirement and you need that money, the volatility could rear its ugly head and it would really suck the day before you retire and you want to cash out all of your Microsoft or whoever, and all of a sudden the market crashes and you lose 50% of what you own just in a day. And it can happen. And it is happening right now, depending on what kinds of companies you've been invested in over the last couple of months, even there have been companies that have lost 50, 60, 80% of their value in a very short amount of time. And as we have pointed out in the past, recovering from those kinds of losses, it can happen. But the amount of return or gain that you have to get just to get back to even from those high points is astronomically high. When you start getting to the 80, 90 percent, I think it's what, 120, 150 percent return that that company has to generate just get, to get back to even. No, it'd be more like 800, 900 percent. Okay. All right. See, I'm, I'm, even I'm, even, I'm even, <laughs> so it's even more of a dire. So yeah. I, I was wrong. So anyway, the the point I'm making is that the standard operating procedure is to think about that. But I think the key question is, when do you need that money? So if you're in great health and you plan on working until you're 75, maybe you have to think about whether you want to start adjusting your portfolio as you get closer to retirement. But I think the the bigger question is, is what is your time horizon? And again, none of us know the future. And none of us can predict where we're going to be five years from now and what our health is going to be. Hopefully we can if we've taken care of ourselves. But those are all, all right, Let's play a game then. Okay. Let's create example scenario. Some of these may be 63 years old. Let's say they have 200,000 saved from 401ks over the years. Mm-hmm. And let's say maybe they're kind of like you or maybe they'll work part-time or you know get some social security along the way. So it's not like... They're going to need all of this 200K right. at 65. Mm-hmm. Give us an example of not to say this is your prescription, but right. here's an idea of maybe if I was in your shoes, how I would think about it and how people can start to apply that to themselves. I think, you know, if I was in that situation, if this was me, I think what I would do is I would start rotating part of my portfolio into safer assets. If I needed the money and I was planning on using that income to help me along with my social security uh, to help me live. And so I would probably start rotating, you know, maybe as an example, maybe taking 10% of that and rotating it into something like bonds. And then, you know, the next year, maybe rotating another five or 10% into more bonds and just kind of gradually scaling it down as I get closer to when I'm going to retire. And so that maybe my target would be, let's say by the time I retire and I'm planning on still working a little bit, then maybe I would reduce my allocation from 100% stocks or maybe 90-10 to something like 50-50. And then even as I get into retirement, I could also continue to look at how much do I want to reduce some of that exposure. And some of that's going to depend on the makeup of what is in the portfolio. So for example, if I have all companies that are not paying dividends, then I might want to reduce those sooner than the ones that are paying dividends because I want that dividend income to continue farther down the path than giving up a stock gain of something like 
I'll just pick a company, Amazon, that doesn't pay a dividend currently. And so just thinking about something like that, maybe I reduce exposure in Amazon, but continue my exposure in Microsoft, for example, because it does pay a dividend. So I guess that's what I would think about if I was in scenario A, so to speak. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. So you're saying because they pay a dividend, you could kind of live off that dividend mm-hmm. and not have to sell anything or right. pay taxes. Yes. And I guess when you think about the fact that there are tax implications... I think it's worth if you're close to retirement, even talking to a professional, you know, financial planner, financial advisor who can help you with not only what should I do with my stock portfolio, but how does this affect, you know, if I were to sell this company? Because how much you sell depends on how, you know, that will factor how much taxes you'll pay. Mm-hmm. And so maybe you don't want to sell it all at once because you're going to have a huge tax bill. But then right. it goes back to how much money do you make too? Right. And so I think the advice, if you're starting like kind of from square zero, which I think investing for beginners tends to, a lot of our questions tend to be that way. Mm-hmm. But we also get a lot of, you know, we get some questions like this one. The ideas and the important information is probably a little bit different if you're closer to the retirement. Yeah, absolutely. And other things to consider along with the tax implications, which is a great 
idea to consider and it's something you need to keep in mind. And maybe that would also, if you do it more on a gradual basis, then that could help potentially reduce some of the tax burden you may have as you get closer. The other thing to consider too is depending on what kind of tax vehicle you have the investments in. If you have a majority of your money tied up in a traditional IRA, then you're going to have a bigger tax burden than you will if you have them in a Roth IRA, for example. And so those are things that you need to consider. And Andrew and I are by no means tax experts. And as you consider any of these choices, absolutely talk to your tax professional about whatever kinds of advice or guidance you need to help alleviate any sort of tax burden that you have. I mean, we all have to pay taxes and that's what we have to do as citizens, but any way that you can help reduce that impact on your livelihood going forward is something you definitely want to consider. I'll just, I guess, finish off my last thought. It could be an interesting exercise to say, what would you do if you're 63 and you were starting from square zero? But I would just say to kind of wrap it up in a bow and tie it up nicely. The reason why I say do not put money in the market unless you don't need it for the next five, 10 years or more is that, again, if you put all your money into the market today, your chances of making money are about 50-50. Maybe a little bit more on the 51% that you'll make money. You tend to see more green days. But if you're talking about one day time period, it's close to 50-50. The longer you extend that out, the bigger your probabilities, your percentages of making money on that investment are. And so once you get to like the five-year mark, your probability of making money goes up to like 90%. 10-year mark, it goes, again, you're like 90, 95%. And then 20-year mark, we've never seen a 20-year period where the market has lost money. So you're making money after 20 years. So that's kind of like the idea of why having that longer time frame, and especially not putting money in the market that you need in the next one, two, three, four, five years, because the market moves up and down just like the economy does. And you just can't know what's going to happen with your investment over a short time period. So you bet instead on the economy growing rather than betting on, well, I'm going to outsmart the entire world and time in and out when I'm going to get in and out of the market. That's just not a reliable way to, to think about your money. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey. Do you have trouble sleeping? Then maybe you should check out The Sleepy Podcast. It's a show where I read old books in the public domain to help you get to sleep. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of classic stories like A Tale of Two Cities, Pride and Prejudice, Winnie the Pooh. Stories that are great for adults and kids alike. For years now, Sleepy has helped millions of people catch some much-needed Zs, start their next day off fresh, and discover old books that they didn't know they loved. So, whether you have a tough time snoozing or you just like a good bedtime story, fluff up the cool side of your pillow and tune into Sleepy. Unless you're driving, then please don't listen to Sleepy. Find Sleepy on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes each week. Sweet dreams.
Well said. Well said. That wraps it up nicely. Okay. All right. <laughs> so let's move on to the next question. We have, hey guys, great work on the show. I have been an avid listener for almost a year and about six months ago, purchased a few stocks on my own. I am happy to share that my portfolio is up 10%. I have a question on REITs. On the show, you have often said to be cautious of REITs and make sure you know exactly what you're getting into before you buy. I own two REIT stocks in my portfolio, LY and DX, both of which seem to be solid companies and they pay around a 10% dividend. To me, this seems like a very high dividend that can do quite a bit in the long term. Right now, my REIT stocks are about are down due to the raised interest rates, but I still feel like they may be a good investment long term. What are the downsides to REITs? What am I missing? Do they belong in every balanced portfolio? Or are they too good to be true? Thanks, Scott. So, Andrew, what are your thoughts on Scott's great question about REITs? So maybe let's start with defining REITs. REITs stand for Real Estate Investment Trusts. And would you care to give us like a REIT 101 for somebody who's never heard of a REIT? Sure. All right. So REIT 101. So REITs are a company that tend to invest in real estate, depending on the type of REIT. And there's all different kinds of flavors of REITs that you could possibly ever want, whether they're retail REITs, whether they're mall REITs, whether they're mortgage REITs, whether they're apartment REITs, there's all kinds of flavors. And REITs are companies that will generate revenue by collecting rents, or by collecting interest or dividends from the investments that they make. And they pay out dividends, very big dividends. And the structure of the companies, the way that they're taxed, are they have to pay out upwards of 90% of their earnings has to be a dividend. And so because of that, they are very well valued and very highly regarded from dividend investors. They also do appreciate in the market as a stock. It is a great way to invest in real estate if you don't want to go out and buy land or a company or a building or something along those kinds. So you get a slice of investment in real estate without having that huge capital outlay. So those are, I guess, that's kind of the overview of REITs that I can think of. Did I miss anything? No, I think that's a good kind of overview. Okay. All right. So as far as, I guess, let's kind of take a quick look at each of these companies and kind of talk through a little bit kind of what Scott is getting at and maybe why REITs could be great investments or maybe why they couldn't be great investments. I mean, I would kind of think about it like he asks, is this too good to be true? What are the downsides? What am I missing? And I would almost look at it like, would you say that about a business? Like pick any stock. Some of them have really great business models, some not so great. So when you look at REITs, they are just like a company. They are a company. I mean, essentially, and they're going to buy different things. So every REIT's going to be different. You have to think of it differently and don't try to group them all together, I think is one key takeaway. And I mean, even like looking at the pandemic as an example, ask yourself, I mean, I don't know what it's like in your area, but here in Raleigh, there have been several shopping center kind of like a building where it used to be a gym or mm-hmm. place used to be a shopping center. Now it's just vacant. It's been vacant for like two years. Right. So you have that as like, one part of real estate, commercial real estate, which really got hurt from the pandemic. And then you have the other side where nobody can buy a home around here. Right. So it's both real estate, but they're two very different pictures. They're two different markets. And so if you have a REIT that has exposure to residential, that's going to be different than a REIT that is in commercial real estate. That's going to be different from a REIT that's in you know, the cell phone towers and healthcare REITs. They're all very different. So you do have to be careful about 
on aggregate, I don't think they have necessarily any sort of upside or downside to any other business. And I think that's maybe something I can see the excitement of it. But if you're thinking it's too good to be true, there's always a cost. And Mm -hmm. I don't know if we want to go down deep into like dilution and all of that. But to say that like there is a reason why they're able to pay such high dividends and it's because they're paying as a shareholder, you're paying for it in a different way Mm -hmm. than you might with a regular company. Right. I guess let's explore the dividend part of it for a little bit. So let's talk about the yield that they pay and maybe why people invest in REITs as opposed to buying a bank stock, for example. What are the advantages dividend-wise that you would get from a REIT versus those other ideas? Yeah. Kind of like you said, they have to pay more of their earnings in dividends. And so investors like that because you're getting a higher yield. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know one of the REITs in my portfolio... I see the dividend in there and I'm like, whoa, (laughs) did I get a bonus? What's going on here? (laughs) Like it's much higher than other companies would pay out, but it doesn't come for free because if I'm a regular company and I want to grow, I got to take those profits instead of paying as a dividend, I got to reinvest in the business. Right. So with a REIT, it's the same way. They have to generate money to grow. So instead of doing that from their profits, they will do it from the shares. They will dilute the shares. So remember, I don't know if people remember, we talked about the pizza. If you have one share of a stock, it's like a slice of a pizza. And if a company buys back shares, your slice gets bigger and bigger because you're owning more and more of the company. With a REIT, they do the opposite. So your slice actually becomes smaller and that's how they generate the cash that they need to buy the real estate. They'll also take out debt. So you'll see a lot more debt with REITs too. But that's what they'll do. And so it's a different, you know, a lot of times they will grow faster than they make your slice smaller. So you'll still see growth. But that's one of the things that it's not too good to be true. You're just paying for it in a different way. That might be harder to conceptualize because it's not as simple as we make a profit and then we invest it and we grow. It's taken out, you're paying for it in a different way. Right. Yeah, I agree. And so a couple things about the dividends to also consider about with REITs is number one, the yield is going to be based on the fixed dividend they're paying compared to the price of the stock. And so as the stock market moves, that price is going to fluctuate. And so both of these companies, the stock price has dropped recently. And so that is driving up the yield of these companies. I think this is just a generality. So this is not, you know, all encompassing, but generally when you're looking at yields on REITs and that for those of you who aren't familiar with this term, that basically is the comparison of what the dollar amount that they're paying for the REIT compared to the price in the stock market. And so what you're seeing is if that goes up, it means the stock price has probably dropped because they don't change the amount of money they give you on a dividend that quickly. So there will be fluctuation. But generally for good quality REITs, you want to see probably as spitball three and a half to five and a half percent range for a dividend yield. And if it starts going up or down based on that, then you want to do some investigation. And so if you see a 10% yield on a REIT, that may be great, but it also could just be because the stock price has dropped a little bit. And that in and of itself may not be anything to be concerned about. Again, it goes back to the underlying fundamentals of the company. And so like any other company, a REIT is something that you have to look at the financials and analyze and try to determine what the economic outcome will be based on how the company is performing. And so just like Microsoft or Visa, you have to look at Annaly Capital and decide whether their financials are 
going in the direction you want to see them go. And so going along with that, then thinking about the return that you get from investing in a REIT is a little different than you would get from investing in a company like Wells Fargo, for example. And a lot of the return that you may get from a company like Wells Fargo or even Microsoft is from the share appreciation. Whereas with a REIT, sometimes more of your return is going to be based on the dividend that they pay you because the stock price may not move as much. And so you may not... You're not going to see a 50% return on a stock where you could see a 50 a REIT where it's not unusual to see a company like Google go up 50% in a year. But to see a REIT go up 50% in a year is probably more unlikely. And so the return that you're going to get from investing in a company like a REIT is going to be more from the dividend over the long term than it will be the share appreciation. And again, that's just a generality. And that's not something that you're going to see individual companies obviously do very well in different cycles. And so those are things that you have to consider. Data REITs, for example, right now are the hot thing because data centers are huge. And, you know, companies like Microsoft and Amazon and Google are in a race to see who can be the biggest cloud provider. And so they're building massive amounts of data storage and REITs. There are companies that manage those for Microsoft, Amazon, and Google. And so there's a huge race for that. So those are hot stocks right now. But whereas something like healthcare, maybe not so much. So it'll go in cycles. But to get back to my previous point for my long-winded answer here (laughs) is that the basic idea is you need to understand the business like Andrew was saying. And that's key to just investing in general. And REITs are like banks, in that they are a different kind of language to understand. And we have written a lot about REITs on our website. And so if you're unfamiliar with a lot of this language, if you're like, yeah, I really want to get into this, but I don't really know where to start, go to einvestingforbeginners.com and type in REITs. We have a search bar, type in REITs, and you're going to find lots of great articles about the structure of REITs, how they work, how to analyze them, how to value them. Lots of great stuff. How the dividends work. There's lots of great stuff out there. And there's lots of great people on the internet as well that are very, very well versed. Brad Thomas is probably, I guess, the acknowledged master of REITs, if you will. And he's written some great books about about REITs as well. And so there's lots of great resources if this is something you really, really want to kind of dive into. Yeah, I agree with that. Nothing to add. Okay. (laughs) All right, Charlie, I have nothing to add. I would just say, you know, for this new investor, I would gently suggest to maybe put a little be limit sign on on your new kind of journey. I think it's awesome, you know, having listened to our show, having some success with your stocks, being a new investor. These companies are pretty complex. I mean, uh, Annalie Capital and, and this other one, they are mortgage REITs. So it's almost like, you take the complexity of a bank and then you combine it with the complexity of a REIT. I don't even know how anybody would analyze that just to start. So it's not a simple business model. And I would caution maybe trying to learn a little bit more about the company you're invested in. Because mm-hmm. I mean, interest rates do play a role in these companies, but it's, it's not all of it. And I will admit, even for myself, mortgage-backed securities and all of that nonsense from the financial crisis. There's a lot of complexity involved with those. And again, it's not good or bad. It's just different. So I would really, really caution jumping into companies like this. If you read the annual report and you don't understand some of the stuff in there, I would say maybe slow down, maybe take a U-turn, maybe go somewhere else where it's easier and, and simpler to understand. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good advice. Investing in REITs is definitely a different beast than looking at a company like Visa or looking at a company like Walmart, for example. And so you have to kind of understand the language that those companies are speaking. And beyond just the fundamental analysis of the company, you also have to kind of have a pulse on real estate in general and the different kinds of real estate, like Andrew was talking about earlier, the differences between commercial and residential. And there's a lot of differences between investing in retail versus investing in mall REITs. And so those are some complexities that definitely need to be considered. And I don't want to discourage you from investing in these kinds of investments, but definitely doing some due diligence and learning a little bit about the real estate market in general and then thinking about how the companies operate is definitely something that would be behoove you as you kind of go down that path for sure. But yeah, a speed bump is probably not a, you know, I'm going to tell you this from experience after studying banks for all these years. You read a bank 10K and then you read a a 10K like Walmart and you're like, oh my God, this is easy. (laughs) So the complexity of REITs and financials just in general can be a little more complicated. But if that's something you like, then, you know, dive in and and learn as as much as you can before you pull the trigger. Yeah, well said. Thanks. I have nothing to add. All right. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right, folks. Well, with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap up our conversation for today. I wanted to thank everybody for taking the time to send us those fantastic questions. Please keep them coming. You guys definitely stretch our knowledge base and really stretch what Andrew and I know to answer some of these questions. And it's a lot of fun for us to do this. And hopefully you guys get some good information from that. If you guys want to learn more about things beyond what we talk about on the podcast, we have this great email list that you can join that we send you daily nuggets that will teach you more about the stock market in little bite-sized pieces that you can consume at your leisure. And it's it's great and easy for you to sign up. You can go to stockmarketpdf.com and you can sign up there and keep abreast of everything that Andrew and I think about the stock market. So without any further ado, I'll go ahead and sign us off. You guys go out there and invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. Have a great week. We'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com.